Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about unity in our response to domestic abuse. But before we jump into that topic, I want to take a moment to remind you of PeaceWorks University. So PeaceWorks University is our online membership community. And if you are benefiting from the things you're hearing here on the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. Uh, We have a lot of resources over there, as well as our growing community of helpers, and we would love for you to be part of that community. So you want to learn more about PeaceWorks University, head on over to chrismoles.org. All right, so uh, today's episode, we're going to head back to uh, questions, and today's question is about unity. And the questioner writes this, how can biblical counselors and church leaders work together toward unity in domestic abuse wisdom and practice when there may be gaps in domestic abuse knowledge in one or more parties? And um, it's a great question because, uh, you know, unfortunately, I do think there is some division uh, within our community, whether it be the biblical counseling tribe or within the conservative church community. And, and it is concerning some of the divisions concerning, not all. Uh, hopefully I'll unpack that here in a moment. But the assumption of the question, I'll deal with that first, what's, what's written in the question, and then I'll maybe unpack a little bit more that could help us uh, in, our, in our further discussions. And that is when there are gaps in knowledge. And I, I think that's a very kind way to look at some of the divisions, and certainly those exist. I, um, I recall having a conversation with a biblical counselor who is now completely engaged in this work. I mean, immersed in the work of helping victims, confronting perpetrators, helping the church understand the dynamics and impact of domestic abuse. Um, very gifted biblical counselor. And his motivation comes from some past failures. And um, I think that's I think that's a rich response. I would love to see more pastors and leaders and counselors learn from poor responses and that drive them into education. Uh, and so education certainly is a, a huge win for us in the movement and uh, a powerful next step for us, and that is to educate the church. Uh, to help them understand more about domestic abuse, about aspects of coercive control, um, more than just kind of legal reporting obligations, but understanding uh, abuse in the home and some of the unique aspects of abuse that affect us in the church, in the conservative church. And so I think the questioner is spot on in that I think we become more unified when we're more educated. Now, I, I want to guard against something because you know, that'd be a very short podcast if I only agree with the questioner <laughs> to that, that just to spin and say, yes, more education. And so uh, certainly we want to see more awareness in our churches. We want to see more education in our churches. We want to see more education among biblical counselors. We want to see more literature. We want to see more uh, presentations and conferences. We want to see 
uh, more unity for sure. Um, but education alone is really not the biggest gap that I think uh, we're experiencing in a lot of ways. Certainly, uh, education is farther along than it's ever been. And so, you know, I can even point to the most recent uh, CCEF event, the most recent conference on trauma, and there was a great deal of information regarding abuse uh, at the CCEF conference and recognizing the impact of abuse, which is uh, a lot of trauma training, is understanding and responding to uh, the, the effects uh, of abuse. And so from where we were to where we are, those gaps are quite small as far as education goes. And so uh, to kind of elaborate on the question, I think might be helpful. The questioner wants to know how can biblical counselors and church leaders work together toward unity in wisdom and practice uh, between the different parties. And I think beyond education, um, the first thing I would I would say is I think we need to dialogue. Um, our movement as conservative Christians, and I can say as a biblical counselor, somebody who's in the biblical counseling world, we have a tendency to monologue. Like we have a tendency to um, talk about each other uh, rather than to each other. We kind of have a tendency to create presentations to respond to each other. Um, I mean, that's, I kind of get that. Like I, I kind of understand that, especially back in the day when, um, when it was so difficult to invite people into conversation. So uh, I was so thankful uh, and I need to write him back in case he is listening. I was so thankful uh, for my friend, uh, Bob Kellerman had sent me a, a really great piece that he had written about this kind of this collegial um, public behavior that used to happen in our movement. And, and that makes perfect sense. And I guess to some degree it should still exist. The idea of, Oh, you wrote a paper in this journal. So I should write a response paper uh, just so people can kind of see our dialogue. And that's really a historical thing. I mean, we can go all the way back uh, to the reformation to see, uh, church leaders doing that, those public written responses. Well, I, I guess I would say in the world in which we currently live, it wouldn't be that hard to pick up the phone if there was a major concern uh, to schedule uh, a podcast interview or uh, a Zoom call or a webinar uh, where two people could dialogue uh, in friendly disagreement. And I think we lack that. And, and, and I don't know that um, the monologue responses are evidencing uh, the community that we could have or should have. I saw this recently at a conference unrelated uh, to counseling and care. It was at a church-based conference where two people who I knew loved each other were in a heated um, debate regarding policy, uh, and some folks were very concerned at the way in which they debated. Those of us who knew them were not concerned because we knew them. We knew that it would be nothing for them to go out to dinner that night or to have a friendly conversation. They agreed on this point, and they you know, contended for their points very well. Uh, but without the context, some of that was lost. And I just think in today's world, you know, that context is helpful. I would much rather have seen, and I know policy, procedures, Robert's Rules of Order would not allow us to do that, but it would have been more helpful to me to seeing those two men sharing a cup of coffee, discussing their disagreement, 
uh, as friends as opposed to presenting their points uh, in public. Both, perhaps, would have been necessary. So I'd like to see more dialogue. I guess that's all I'm saying. I think unity would be easier to come by if we were willing to talk to each other as opposed to about each other. And that only happens when you dialogue and when you actually have um, a kind of a gracious response uh, to each other um, rather than, than, again, talking about each other. So that would help with unity. I think what that won't help with is uniformity, if I could say that to the questioner. Um, and I think that is a, a kind of a sub point. I do think there are some of us who want uniformity, that we are really looking for the six bullet points when it comes to domestic abuse or the, um, the handbook that's going to help us deal with every abuse case. And while that would be completely welcome if that could exist, I don't think that can exist. I think um, abuse is a complex issue. I think domestic abuse is a complex issue. I think domestic abuse within the Christian home is a complex issue. And as such, there will be um, varying theological perspectives, varying policy perspectives. And sure, within our tribe, within our world, within our churches, we should work hard to kind of narrow and nuance what we can so that we have a healthy response. However, I do think that sometimes in the name of uniformity, we're unwilling to work with people maybe who are a little different than us, or we expect those people to respond the way that we would. So one example would be, I, I will work with just about anybody. Um, I think I've made that pretty clear. And for, for some folks, that's a deal breaker. Like that's one of the areas where we're not unified is, you know, I'm willing to work with um, egalitarians if it means having a safer community. I'm willing to work with um, unbelievers if it means that um, our communities are safer I'm willing to work with folks who maybe have a slightly different view of complementarianism than I do if it means we can find common ground to help serve victims and hold men accountable. And so I think that unity is more important than uniformity. However, I'm not their pastor, and they're not my board members, if that makes sense, right? So while I can lock arms with you, say, at the 5K to raise money for the shelter, whether I you know, agree with every policy that happens at the shelter is very different than, say, me inviting you to speak in my pulpit if you're a representative of the shelter. Those are two different questions. I can be unified in one aspect, but not uniform in another. Uh, everything's not going to fit perfectly together. Uh, the same would be true uh, when I get a call from a church that I have a slightly different theological position from, which happens all the time especially in the area of divorce. Um, my first line when I get asked the question about abuse and divorce is, well, I'm not your pastor or an ecclesiological authority. I can only tell you how I got to where I am personally, but you guys have to wrestle with this. If you're going to make policy, you have to do it. It's not my job to make policy for you. I think that'd be inappropriate. And the same would be true for that you know group of pastors or, or leaders to dictate to me what what PeaceWorks does or who they work with. And so I think there is a, um, a point at which unity is that we are willing to work together as opposed to uniformity, which we all have to be saying and doing the same thing. Um, that will actually make us richer, I believe. So let me just throw it out there. I mean, we're, we're talking about this. I would say among 
I don't know, among the one of the larger criticisms that I receive personally is my friends or my willingness to work with people in various tribes. And I've tried to be very clear that I have theological positions. I've been a pastor for 24 years. I, um, I live within a theological tribe. I try my best uh, to, to operate within that, uh, repent when I don't, uh, ask questions when I'm confused. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to aspects of domestic abuse, I want to help the church. And so on one side of the coin, I'll get criticized because I have friends, say, in the IFB, um, the Independent Fundamental Baptist Tribe. And there'll be all kinds of rational, seemingly good reasons why I should see that particular group as problematic. But I'd have a, I've yet to find any reasons why I should separate from my friends that are in that group. I believe in my friends. I want to see them impact that group for the glory of God. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I'll get criticisms because I may work with secular organizations. Well, I can tell you, I've presented at secular conferences. There's, I don't think there's any question where I stand when it comes to the gospel. I want to be very clear in who I am and what I do. And um, uh, so I, I don't shy away from speaking at secular events. And everything in between, um, our most conservative friends and our um, unbelieving friends. And I think that's important because this work uh, really centers around safety and the gospel. And so when I help the community, any community, serve them in such a way that they become safe, it's an opportunity to talk about God's heart for the oppressed, God's heart for the marginalized, God's call to repentance, um, God's... um, mandates to husbands, um, Jesus's modeling of servant leadership, all of those things can be uh, positions that we can talk about and we can even rally around if we vary somewhat. So dialogue, number one, I think embracing unity over uniformity would be number two. And then number three, cooperate where you can and just be honest where you can't. And I think to the questioner's point, we would find a lot more unity, I think, if we would cooperate where we can and just be honest where we can't. Um, and, and maybe I'm naive, and it's very possible I'm naive on this, but I do think that I have run up against folks from every end of the spectrum. And I'll, I'll give you an example that, that might deviate some from the norm to kind of illustrate that. I remember having a conversation uh, with a brother, a Christian brother out west, who is engaged in this work, but is egalitarian, uh, theologically speaking. Um, you know, and I, I have said many times that complementarity and egalitarianism are not that far apart in practice, but how we get there is slightly different. Uh, but my friend, he's even a little, little farther to the left than say even that position. And so, uh, he was, he's very concerned that I'm a complementarian and very determined to convert me from that theological position to his theological position. And uh, it, it is a, uh, has been an ongoing dialogue that, you know, I haven't been willing to budge. It has been fun, um, but there's definitely a passion there. And I, and I think there's a limiting passion there. He doesn't feel like we can cooperate because I won't espouse a certain form of egalitarianism. And that's okay. That's okay, but what he doesn't do 
is decry our work because he's seen our work and he's heard our work. And so he affirms much of what we say. He just hates that it comes from the position that it does. Now, that's an example from like the left, but we experience that on the right too, you know? And, and I think that's an important reminder for us that it's okay. It is absolutely okay to have a conversation, right, dialogue, uh, with uh, a friend in unity and not uniformity to say, when it comes to this aspect of your work, I can cooperate. But when it comes to this aspect of your work, I can't for reasons, you know, of conscience. And we should respect that. Like, honestly, we should respect that and say, you know what? This is, this is where I'm at on this. And now try to convince me. Let's dialogue. Let's talk about it. Maybe there's room for a movement. Maybe we can move a little bit. But if not, then let's find the common ground where we can cooperate where we can. The church has been so much richer, I believe, when we've done this. Uh, friends who work on eradicating the drug problem in their community uh, we'll partner with agencies and other churches um, to conduct uh, clinics and educational events and um, prayer meetings and vigils, all locking arms to say, hey, we believe that this epide- epidemic of opioids, for instance, is killing our kids. And Pentecostals and Presbyterians and everybody in between can get on board with that. We're asking the Lord to do a work, and we want to be part of that work. Hallelujah. Right? Praise the Lord. I think the same could be true for abuse. Like, I really think that we can lock our arms in a lot of ways. Now, are we going to struggle as we dialogue about the nuances of, say, authority, how we define and utilize that in the church? Sure. Sure. But I don't think we're ever going to properly cooperate if we won't even converse, right? If, if we won't talk about authority, and how it and abuse uh, are kind of these kissing cousins, right? How a misuse of authority leads to all manner of abuse. If we can't even talk about it, then there's going to be difficulty cooperating. But if we could talk about it, we could say, okay, we differ here, here, and here. What does that mean moving forward? Right? What does that mean moving forward? Well, perhaps we can partner with each other for safe houses. Perhaps we can partner with each other in fundraisers. Maybe we can partner with each other in, in simple educational and awareness events. But maybe PeaceWorks won't be writing your policy, right? Maybe you won't be um, leading men of peace groups because of your convictions. That's fine. That really is fine because I wouldn't want you to violate your conscience. So I hope that helps somewhat with the question. Like the questioner comes in, I believe, correctly saying that the gaps that are existing in our movements tend to be a lack of knowledge. And I would agree. I think education repairs and fixes and fills in a lot of those gaps. But some of the gaps, I think, are coming through um, a lack of conversation, through talking about each other or at each other rather than with each other. Um, looking for uniformity in practice rather than unity in spirit, and um, an unwillingness to cooperate where we can and be honest where we can't. So I I hope that has been helpful. I hope that's benefited you and maybe opened up a little bit of perspective to say, you know what, I can cooperate 
with folks who differ from me slightly but have the same goal. We want to see the gospel proclaimed. We want to see people safe. Um, Let's find ways to dialogue. Let's find ways to preserve unity, and let's find ways to cooperate. All right, friends, thank you so much for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. It really means a lot to us. If you could rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever the platform you're listening on asks you to do, just let them know how much you appreciate the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time, friends, God bless.